you don't have any investment, real estate investment, you will not have the opportunity to learn to make mistakes, learn from it, and then you will not be able to tell which one is a better investment. I think you just have to get it started somewhere and with the help of your investment counselor and then just keep moving forward. Welcome to the Creating Wealth Show with Jason Hartman. You're about to learn a new slant on investing, some exciting techniques, and fresh new approaches to the world's most historically proven asset class that will enable you to create more wealth and freedom than you ever thought possible. Jason is a genuine, self-made multimillionaire who's actually been there and done it. He's a successful investor, lender, developer, and entrepreneur who's owned properties in 11 states, had hundreds of of tenants and been involved in thousands of real estate transactions. This program will help you follow in Jason's footsteps on the road to your financial independence day. You really can do it. And now, here's your host, Jason Hartman, with the complete solution for real estate investors. Welcome to episode 1363-1363. Today we got a few things to talk to you about. Maybe a little market roundup from last year, compare some asset classes, talk about the Atlanta market, uh, and talk about MMT. And I've I've got one of the biggest proponents here with me. You just heard him go woohoo, and that's Adam. Adam, you must be back from your socialist party meeting oh, and you want to talk about MMT. Go for it. Well, this is <laughs> this is the part that kills me, Jason. MMT is not socialism. It's uh, oh. believe it or not. Now we're going to play a clip from a podcast I listened to. MMT itself is not liberal. It is not conservative. You know what the biggest MMT thing government has done in the last two to three years, Jason? Oh, what is that? Trump tax cut. The Trump tax cut is MMT. Wow, yes, I can't is. wait to hear this one. Okay, yeah. <laughs> great. So first of all, let's, you know, I can't stand it when everybody's using acronyms all the time. So let's remind our audience, we've talked about MMT before, but it stands for Modern Monetary Theory. Modern Monetary Theory. And I think it's a bit of a pipe dream. Adam thinks it's legit. Uh, we had Mike Norman on the show. That was our first uh, episode about MMT. When I asked him a question, he hung up on me, but I called him back and convinced him to finish the show. So that was good. And, uh, you know, you listeners, you loved that show. That was a it was really a good episode. Yeah, that was a, everybody made really good comments about that episode. So, uh, and you go, had L. Randall to... Ray, who's one of the original, um, fathers of MMT. He's not like the main, main guy, but he's one of the, yeah. the main guys out there. And, and for any of these past episodes, of course, go to jasonhartman.com and use the search engine on there. We've got a great search engine there, and you can type MMT or Modern Monetary Theory or Mike Norman or whatever else you want and uh, find any of our past 1,362 episodes. <laughs> All right, Adam, you want to play this clip or tee it up? So there is a podcast. It's called the MMT Podcast. Really tricky name for those of you out there. And <laughs> I listen to it religiously. <laughs> and oh, um, the people here, they do a very good job of making it understandable for the average person. Now, they're going to be talking about um, the pound because they're not from the United States. but The British works, pound yes. sterling. So okay. here we go. We're going to get it started. And he mentions the name Kevin. That's his guest for the week. It's not important. It's at the very beginning. 
All right. If you're new to MMT, the reason that some market practitioners like Kevin find it useful is that the descriptive part of MMT is an objective analysis of how modern money systems work, what happens on the balance sheet of a nation when the government spends and what happens when it taxes. Now, we all have our ideas about how real wealth, real goods and services should be distributed, and that should be debated, and that's what politics should be about, in my opinion. But what shouldn't be up for debate is whether or not currency-issuing governments like, say, the UK, the US, Japan, Canada, Australia can run out of their own money, because they can't. Some of the characteristics of the way money comes into being, the way it moves through an economy and the way it exits an economy, have been remarkably similar the world over for quite a long time. As John Maynard Keynes once put it, all modern states have had the ability to decide what is money and what is not for at least 4,000 years. So what makes money, money? The MMT money story goes like this. A state desires to provision itself. It needs roads, bridges, soldiers, hospitals, schools, infrastructure, a health system, an education system, you name it. But to achieve these things, it needs to be able to hire people and buy resources. But why would anybody want to work for intrinsically worthless pieces of paper? The way Hyman Minsky said what it, I said. anyone yeah. can create money, but the problem lies in getting it accepted. So how do you make people accept your money? How do you get them to value your bits of paper enough to work for them? It's very interesting that he says that. And, you know, with that awesome British accent, he <laughs> sounds more intelligent than me, for sure. Uh, but, um, you know, how do governments get people to accept it? Well, I'm sure he's going to say something nice and clean. But the reality oh, no. of it is. No, no, no. He, you know, oh, 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 he's going to agree with me because the reality of it is they get them to accept it at the point of a gun. That's why they yeah. call it fiat money, right? Yeah. The example that they give and a lot of people give is the hut tax in Africa that the British used. And okay. for those of you who don't know, they came in and they tried to get the, um, the citizens to work for the, the pound. And they basically said, no, well, you have no need for it. We don't care about your money. So they brought the military in and said, all right, we're going to charge you property tax, essentially. And you're going to work for us and we're going to pay you and you're going to pay us back or else we're basically going to take your house away or burn your house down or whatever it is. And that created the value for the pound in Africa. Isn't that nice? Isn't that pleasant? <laughs> you know, that uh, I love it when uh, these governments just impose their will on these poor people, right? You know, there, there's this great meme that's floated around and it says, well, first of all, I have to tell what the picture is. The picture is a bunch of really ominous looking police in riot gear all lined up like they're going to kill you. Okay. And the caption says at the top, it says socialism. And then below it, it says ideas so good, we have to force you to accept them. <laughs> so there you go. Anyway, okay. Comment or play more of the tape? No, I think we should play more because it gets right. uh, the part that was, gets really good is coming up. All right. Through taxation, a monetarily sovereign government presents each individual under its authority with a tax bill payable only in the state's chosen unit of account. In the UK, that unit is called the British pound, and only pounds will settle tax obligations to the state. So the tax bill creates people needing to earn the government's currency. The government can then spend its otherwise worthless bits of paper to hire people and buy resources. 
So a £5 note is a promise to pay off £5 of your tax bill. It's a £5 tax credit. Because of this, it circulates as currency. Because all citizens need to pay taxes and only the government's designated tokens are acceptable for payment, so a permanent demand for pounds or dollars or yen, depending on where you live, is created by this need to pay taxes. And that right there is why Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies will never take off, in my opinion. I couldn't agree with you more on the cryptocurrency. And as I've been on the record many times, I would love to be wrong. However, we should make the distinction that, look, cryptocurrency is going to take off. Okay, I think you probably didn't mean it quite the way you said it. The distinction is it's going to be a government or central bank sponsored cryptocurrency right i mean look at a digital currency is the future okay and the future is probably not even blockchain there's better ways to do it than blockchain blockchain opened the world's eyes 10 years ago as to a pretty awesome system but they have better ways to do it than blockchain blockchain is sadly really quite inefficient once the currency grows to a large size and blockchain of course is the grow it Yeah. And blockchain is the concept that tracks the accounting for Bitcoin and many other cryptocurrencies. So cryptocurrency is definitely the future. It's just not all these private cryptocurrencies are not the future. Okay. Now I'd say the one that is my favorite out of them is Bitcoin because it's not centralized. And uh, like one of our Venture Alliance members says so, so well, Keith, I'm talking about you. You, you really said this so well. He says, you know, the reason Bitcoin's going to win is because the government can't knock on any CEO's door and say, close it down or you're under arrest, right? And that's true. That's a great point. But, the but government, they also don't have to. Well, it's harder to close something like Bitcoin down. Well, it's I, I really that, easy to close down Ethereum or Dogecoin or any of these other ones, right? Yeah, but they don't have to care about Bitcoin. I, mean, the I, government, I agree. Care? Because it's like what we were just listening to. You can't pay your taxes with Bitcoin, so what do they care? They don't care if Bitcoin's at a million dollars a coin or $5 a coin, as long as you can pay your taxes at the end of the year. They care a little bit. And the reason they care a little bit is because if that cryptocurrency is convertible to the British pound or the dollar or whatever currency you need to pay your taxes, then, I mean, basically, look at the concept of having like America has the reserve currency of the world, which is an awesome position to be in. And the way it maintains the reserve currency of the world is at the point of a gun or more aptly the point of a nuclear missile, right? Or, uh, or, or 6,000 of them to be exact, <laughs> to be more precise. Uh, that's how it maintains the reserve currency status. Within the country, rather than within the entire world, within the country, it maintains its own reserve currency status through legal tender laws and the legal tender laws saying the dollar is the only valid legal tender Mm -hmm. for all debts, public and private. And it enforces that at the point of a gun and at the point of taking away your freedom. So that's what it does. But if that Bitcoin, for example, is convertible, which it is now certainly and could stay that way it doesn't completely work unless you have a 100 percent tax rate okay it works on the margins but they could just make it illegal in general like i've used the example before of illicit drugs they are illegal you but people still trade in them to a small degree 
but it's a very small part of the economy. It's just never going to be a thing because it's illegal and nobody wants to risk going to jail over trading in drugs rather than dollars, right? So they're going to use the dollars. If they made Bitcoin illegal and said it's illegal to trade in this, then it would vastly dramatically reduce the amount of trading and the price of it and the value of it. Anyway, go ahead. We're on a tangent. This framework for understanding what drives money is called chartalism, and you can find it cropping up in the writings of economists all the way back to Adam Smith. When governments spend more money into existence than they tax back, when they run a deficit, that deficit is the private sector's surplus. Government spending is private sector income. It's our money. Because this isn't widely understood by the public, politicians score own goal after own goal by equating government spending with household spending and accusing their political rivals of being immoral for increasing the government's so-called debt. Now, debt for a currency-issuing government, a government that can issue at will without limit the very thing it needs to pay off its so-called debt, is very different to when you or I go into debt. The national debt is the sum total of all the government deficits ran since the inception of the currency. So by definition, it's also the sum total of all the private sector surpluses ran since the inception of the currency. As MMT founder Warren Mosler describes it, the national debt is nothing more than the pounds spent into existence that haven't yet been used to pay taxes. And as lead MMT academic Professor L. Randall Ray puts it, the national debt is not what we owe, it's what we own. So Adam, illuminate that a little bit for our listeners. That was very fascinating what he just said. And of course, I had L. Randall Ray on the show before, but what's your take on that? Let's smoke that out a bit. Yeah, so I'll start with the household thing. You know, he talks about how the government doesn't run like a household and that is true of the federal government. The state, this does not apply to states. States have to be run like a household. They can't run a deficit because they can't issue currency. So think about the states as more like your, um, well, honestly, the Eurozone countries. You know, they are only allowed to spend what they take in in revenue and what they're allowed to by the EU. They're kind of told what to do. But the federal government, they create the currency and what they, we don't have anything until we're given it. You wouldn't have a single dollar in your pocket if the federal government had never issued a single dollar bill into existence. So the way that our politicians say it is, we're going to have to tax you so that we can pay for this. And that is not true. The only thing, and this is one of the things that modern monetary theory espouses that I believe, the only thing that we have to worry about when we implement a tax cut or public spending or anything like that is, will it cause inflation? And the only way it's going to cause inflation is if the government is paying for things and competing with the private sector for those resources. So if they need, you know, cotton and they're buying up all the cotton, but, you know, t-shirt manufacturers still need cotton as well, and they start fighting, it's going to send inflation through the roof. But if we have pounds and pounds and pounds of cotton sitting on the side and they need the cotton, then no harm, no foul, they can do it until they reach the point that it's full. And that's why you've heard a lot of people saying, well, why isn't, why aren't we seeing inflation? Well, that's because we have a lot of resources in our country that aren't being fully utilized. One of the things, the most, the biggest thing 
is employment. I know our unemployment rate is low, but we still have unemployed people. So we still have resources that aren't being put to their highest and best use. And we, we shoot for the one to 2% inflation rate with the Fed so that if you miss and you're too low, you're not contracting the economy. But the federal government, since they give out the money, what they quote unquote owe is what we have in our pockets. Their deficit is our savings. Does that make any sense? <laughs> not exactly. <laughs> but it's definitely interesting. And the idea of your first statement when you started, you know, in about inflation, that's not exactly a minor detail. It's pretty important, right? But I don't know how the whole MMT theory seems to be sort of this wishful thinking fantasy that the government can spend and tax and everybody's just going to be okay. I just don't think it works like that, but it's, I don't know, these arguments are sort of obtuse a bit and they're hard for me to, I don't know, go ahead. So for one time I'm bamboozled. I actually don't know what to say. (laughs) So (laughs) folks, mark this moment on episode 1363. Jason is speechless. That's a first. You can't just spend without concern at all. I will admit that, you know, every modern monetary theorist, anybody who believes in it knows you cannot just spend and spend and spend and spend and never worry about it. But they seem very unworried about it. Like you can, I mean, I guess there's a certain limit. Like what's the limit? There is a limit. And the limit is when they start competing with the private sector, whenever all the resources have been utilized and when there's competition that will, and as soon as you see the inflation start going up, you start cutting back. And so one of the reasons why, this is the interesting thing, is if you look at the deficit in the United States and you go throughout history, if you look back, you will see that every single time that we have run a budget surplus, we have gone into recession. Every single time. I think there have been seven or eight times when we paid off the federal debt in full, we went into a recession for two years. Whenever in the 90s, whenever we, whenever Clinton balanced so the budget it's, and ran it's a bad. So what the modern monetary theory people say is it's bad to have the country actually have a net gain and it's bad for the country to pay off their debts or its debts. Yes. And it's good to be in debt. Now, you know, on the personal level, I'm going to say that as long as it's good long-term fixed rate mortgage debt attached to great income properties, I love debt. It's the greatest thing. So the way you have to think about it, though, is if the government runs a surplus, that means that they have taken more from their citizens than they have given their citizens. That would be like on your birthday if your parents said, you owe me $20. We're not paying you $20 this year. It's everything that the government takes away from us would be considered income. But the stuff that they give us is their, you know, expenses. So if they give us more than they take away, we are able to save that money. And if they don't, then we're giving them money. So if you look, think about it in terms well, of Well, I mean, the deficit, conceptually, if the, if the government has a year where it runs a, a net gain or, a, I guess, a profit, you know, mm-hmm. that sounds awfully like a business, right? But, but if the government taxes more than it spends and has a profit, it should just give the money back to all the taxpayers. I mean, it shouldn't keep it. I mean, yes, it should spend some on infrastructure and such and national defense or, you know, in many cases, offense. You know, they used to call it the War Department. Now they call it the Department of Defense. 
it used to be called the War Department. <laughs> okay. Uh, but essentially, so what they do when they run a surplus is they contract the economy. You know, they don't allow it to grow. You know, they're removing resources from the economy and not allowing investment to happen. Why not just go into massive debt and spend freely and give everybody, wipe out their student loans, give them free health care? I, I think everybody because deserves a Mercedes. Of, because you know? eventually I mean, you run out of resources. You can do that until you run out of resources. As soon as there's too many cars, it's not an all or nothing thing. There is yeah. a limit. We're just not at that limit yet. All right. Do you have do you have more to play? Yes, there's more here. Okay. Public misunderstanding of this leads politicians of all persuasions into vowing to cut deficits, even as unemployment rises and public goods and services go underfunded. They reduce the deficit, which reduces the money circulating in the private sector. Spending goes down. Somebody's spending is somebody else's income, so income goes down. The economic downturn deepens. Unemployment rises, public infrastructure crumbles, and politicians blame the bad economy on the deficit. Then they vow to reduce it even more. The government acts pro-cyclically when it should be acting counter-cyclically. All right, so that is a very important thing. So if you want to know when should we run budget surpluses, the only time you can run a budget surplus and not kill your economy is if you're a net exporter. If you're bringing in more money from outside your country than inside, you can afford to run a surplus. Otherwise, you can't do it and not hurt your your economy. Because politicians have to play to the public mindset. MMT scholars and activists since the 1990s have been engaged in an effort to change public understanding about the way modern money systems work. My own personal feeling is that I'd like political fights to get back to arguing about what the public interest actually is. I'd also like us to get back to arguing about what should be provisioned by government and what should be provisioned by the private sector, rather than having arguments about whether or not the government's run out of its own money. I think it's really important to anybody interested in wanting to make change to be able to answer the how are you going to pay for it question in a substantial way. And that substantial answer is modern monetary theory. All right. So that interesting modern stuff. monetary theory you, you rant. Know, Adam... That was quite fascinating. You're right. We need some listener feedback on this. This is one that definitely we need some feedback. Go to jasonhartman.com slash ask. If you're watching this on our YouTube channel, as we remake some of the podcast and put them on YouTube and then do special things for our YouTube channel specifically, you can comment on the video there, of course. But otherwise, just go to jasonhartman.com slash ask and tell us what you think about this. This is, uh, it's kind of like one of these things that's just sort of fascinating to toy with the ideas as a thought experiment, uh, if nothing else. So the reason, the main reason I wanted to do this today was that as we enter 2020 and as we enter the election year, MMT isn't, as I mentioned, a conservative or a liberal thing. It's important to know how the money system works so that you can look at what each of these politicians wants and ask, is that feasible? Don't worry, you know, not don't worry, but we don't have to worry so much about the question of how are you going to pay for it? Because you don't have to pay for it dollar for dollar. But look and just see, with the way it works, will Trump's ideas work? Will 
Elizabeth Warren's ideas work? Will Bernie Sanders or whoever gets the Democratic nomination? Well, I can answer those questions I know quite you, easily. You don't I know need you, to, you don't need I know to you have an answer for that. <laughs> I'm just saying it's important to know these things so that whenever you hear people saying, oh, inflation's going to fly away, or why hasn't inflation come with this? And the, the answer is simply the government hasn't started competing for these goods. And so even though they've added more money, you know, it hasn't hurt. And that's why, in my opinion, when the bailouts happened, more money should have gone to the individuals. Because when money goes to the individuals, it can cycle through the economy. It can, you know, get paid in and work its way through the businesses. And the founder of MMT, Warren Mosler, thinks that all, you know, essentially you should cut payroll taxes. You should cut all of these taxes. So the, the main founder of MMT is actually a libertarian, Jason. And so he thinks you should cut the taxes and give everybody more money in their pocket. Very interesting. Very interesting. Okay. And so I'll be at Meet the Masters uh, and you can all come talk to me about it then. Right, <laughs> right. You can all either throw tomatoes at Adam at our upcoming Meet the Masters conference, date to be announced soon. Don't worry, it's coming, folks. Stop asking. We'll announce it soon. It's coming. Hey, we've been doing it for 22 this will be like our 22nd anniversary, right? So don't worry. You'll you'll have your Meet the Masters real soon. It's coming. But Adam, tie in the Trump tax cut as to how that's MMT. You, you yeah. alluded to that just now, but Absolutely. tie it in So the government tax cut essentially just means they're not going to take more money away from you. So that's increasing the deficit because they're not taking money out. They're leaving money in the economy. So that's the two ways you can increase your deficit are tax cuts or government spending. Those are the two ways. So when Trump did the tax cuts, it was what, one and a half trillion, I think? Yeah, that something like that. So Give that was take. essentially injecting one and a half trillion dollars into the economy. Mm -hmm. And that's something that MMTers will say, you know, that is definitely a way that you can do it. And it, if, if done the right way, if given to the right people, it will improve your economy. Yeah, very interesting, very interesting. Okay, Adam, uh, let's talk about some property. As the wealth effect hits most people, sadly not everybody, but you got to buy more properties. You might outlive your money, and we don't want that to happen. We want you to live a long life, but uh, you certainly need to plan for that. So this property is, what are you going to talk about today? We're Atlanta, go right, right outside Atlanta, Right outside of Atlanta, Union uh, City. There's yeah, a, we're I like a whole this lot metro of, area. It's a huge metro, and it's a good one. Yeah, so we're getting a lot of uh, pre-construction, and I think the construction might have started on some of them. Um, it's a whole whole big area that's been going on. So we've got a four-bed, two-bath townhome that's going on. You can look at it on the website. It's a nice, uh, nice-looking strip of townhomes here. JasonHartman.com in the properties section. It's up for sale at $177,900. They're expecting it to rent at $1,450. So, we folks, relax. This is new construction, <laughs> brand new construction. So you're not gonna you're not gonna see the kind of numbers you're gonna see on those inexpensive resale rehab renovated properties. Yeah, and if you were watching the George Gammon video and you just heard about the RV ratio that he and Jason talked about. It's not going to hit the 1% on new construction most of the time. Yeah, right. Absolutely not. But still, the projection here is, what, $215, $215 per month positive cash, cash flow? After yeah. vacancy, management, and maintenance. And the cash on cash is lower than most of our resale 
ones, and it's at five percent. But Jason, I don't know about you, but the five percent, even without tax breaks and all that other stuff, I'd be happy if my uh, stock portfolio did five percent in a year. Well, hey, listen, last year if you just bought an index fund, it did beat that. Yep. But remember, when you sell those stocks, you're going to pay capital gains tax. There's no trading them on a 1031 tax-deferred exchange. And, of course, income property, the multidimensional asset class, because of all those dimensions, is dramatically better than just the cash-on-cash return. Adam, tell us the projected return on investment overall, the overall return on investment. The overall return on investment is 29%. So that's projected at almost 30%. When you put in the appreciation, the tax benefits, the leverage, all of these beautiful multiple dimensions of a property, just nothing short of phenomenal. And then we can play the Jason Hartman game of even if it only does half as well, yep. you're still looking at 15%. That's pretty you're, good. You're, you're still looking at 14.5% annually in that projection. And this is brand new construction. So that's really, really good. Um, And the other thing not counted on the performa, of course, is inflation induced debt destruction, which makes your return even better. So Adam, thanks for sharing that. We got to wrap it up. Everybody go check out the properties at jasonhartman.com or better yet, just reach out to one of our investment counselors so they can help you hand pick a property and uh, they can help you with a free portfolio makeover and help you really design a portfolio that's going to help you win the game. And that's what we want for all of you. We've been doing this for many, many years and have helped thousands of clients and we can help you too. jasonhartman.com for more or you can actually call us because we have a phone unlike so many other companies nowadays we actually have good old-fashioned telephones 1-800-HARTMAN 1-800-H-A-R-T-M-A-N thanks for joining us Adam thanks for bringing up the stuff you did today on MMT that was quite fascinating and until tomorrow happy investing Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes. Be sure to check out the show's specific website and our general website, hartmanmedia.com, for appropriate disclaimers and terms of service. Remember that guest opinions are their own. And if you require specific legal or tax advice or advice in any other specialized area, please consult an appropriate professional. And we also very much appreciate you reviewing the show. Please go to iTunes or Stitcher Radio or whatever platform you're using and write a review for the show. We would very much appreciate that. And be sure to make it official and subscribe so you do not miss any episodes. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode.